Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Welcome to the program. I'm Charles Mills here with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. And today we're going to continue a discussion we began last time on who is God? Who is this Old Testament, New Testament combination that is so hard for many people to put together? It's like pieces of a puzzle and we just can't seem to make a solid one picture out of it. And maybe we're not supposed to. Lincoln Steed has said last time that there are things about God that we will not understand. I'm talking about God the Father. There are things about his reasoning and his abilities that are far beyond ours. Even a conversation that God had with Job, he said, where were you when I made the world? There's no way for you to understand me and to visualize me. Well, I think we're trying to do today what Job is trying to do. We're trying to come up with something we can say, this is God. And one of the ways we do that, Lincoln, is, okay, let's start the other direction. What is a God person? What does a person need to be to be a child of God? You told me that there was a conversation you had with someone concerning that very topic. Well, it was on the, on, on the roundtable discussion that I'd mentioned in that other program. Yes. But we had a roundtable TV discussion, and one of the participants was representing a Jewish organization, mm-hmm. and, and, and I did give a disclaimer. I don't know how orthodox he is, but he's clearly religiously involved, or he wouldn't be a national yes. leader in, in, in this Jewish organization. And I made a comment to him because one of the questions had made a misleading statement about the racial characteristics of Jews. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and often, well, Hitler tried that one. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> but really, Jewishness is not predominantly a racial thing. It's an identification with God and a form of obedience, and it always was. And remember, God contacted Abraham, and he says, I'll make of you a great nation. Yes. So in that regard, it flowed from him. But then at Sinai, where the whole uh, concept of Jewishness was really formulated, the Ten Commandments and, and the religious instructions and so on, there were quite detailed instructions as to how they were to incorporate others into their company. Hmm. And we, we spoke at that other program about God directing them to sometimes uh, decimate or, or destroy entire tribes. We don't say much about the fact that many of them, not a majority, but many of them at that time were incorporated. And there's the classic story of Rahab who became a a member of Israel. But between the periods of the conquest, there was always a track and more than a track an encouragement by God that they were to have people join with them because other than being foot soldiers for God, Israel was intended to be a priestly nation. And what does a priest do? He administers the rites and the sacraments Mm -hmm. of of the religion and of the God Mm -hmm. to the people. It's not racial, but their role was not to be uh, racial purifiers or destroyers. (laughs) Their role was to mediate God to an often ignorant uh, population. Mm -hmm. And, And that's been God's plan from the beginning. In Eden, he spoke directly to Adam and Eve, or at least... You and I were saying privately that the evidence is, as the Bible sometimes uses the term, the angel of the covenant, Mm -hmm. the element of the Godhead that eventually 
became directly manifested as Jesus Christ. So uh, in that regard, there was an angel and other angels, guiding angels that, that spoke with Adam and Eve, told them what God wanted. They disobeyed. They fell short. Mm-hmm. Then the world uh, entered into thorn and tooth and claw. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, remember, God put an end to it. This was genocide on a massive scale, mm-hmm. flooded the entire world, and only Noah and his uh, uh, sons and their wives were saved. started again. Then God took control through uh, Abraham to try to, again, purify the, the, the knowledge of him in, in the peoples, and, and he's continued it to this day. Mm-hmm. And when we need to see that God's been working with mankind in broad strokes in the beginning, now subtle, softer strokes, as ironically, as we near the harder times. Yeah. Yeah. Because back then, the pagan god or the tribe representing him might take you a slave or kill you in battle. You know, they could force you to obedience. But now we're being mentally subverted to evil and the battleground has moved onto this higher or more complex plane, if anything. So a child of God is identified by function more than blood. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay, all right. Uh, well, you only have to read the Old Testament again. Uh, yeah. Again, the Bible Old Testament is characterized by diatribes against God's people for not being his people. Yes, yes. And, and yes. why? Because they were not obeying him. They, they were not thinking like him. Yeah. And, and Jesus, when he appeared in, in all of John 17, and I've often preached sermons just on this one thing, he goes on and on to the point the repetition is almost uh, mind-numbing about how we are to be one as God is one. And what's he talking about? Not one entity, because we can never join with the essence of God, yeah. but we can have the mind of God, the, the patterns of thinking that characterize God, at least as far as our capabilities can answer to them. And I believe that we are called to be, and I'm going to jump into a figure here, but I believe that we're not in our own way much different from other creations of God, like the, the uh, summer cicadas or uh, what locusts you call them in the U.S. Yes. On, a, on a warm day in the presence of the sun, they sing uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> and, and I believe we were created in the close proximity to God to resonate mm. and thrum in our being like with, with the very uh, essence of what it is to be God and the beauty of his creation. We're not just, and this is the trouble with, not the trouble, but I mean, it's the the danger of religious liberty that we mix in some of our thinking of enlightenment, secularist thinking that really puts man as an island to himself. Mm-hmm. Like self-determination is a narrow line between that and just a self-willed, a separated individual that's neither connected to God nor the devil. Mm-hmm. God doesn't want and call people to be so independent they're off by themselves. He calls them to make the choice between allegiance to a destructive system, which Satan has to be by definition, right. he's not the creator. Right. So pulling the creature away from the creator, he's exposing them to hazard and ultimately death. But if we choose God, we are being fulfilled uh, for our in- original intention. And mm. that's not autonomous behavior. Yeah. The Bible doesn't argue for autonomy. It argues for your right to choose where your connection will be. And once you make that connection with God, there are wonderful promises that the Old Testament only barely hints at, and the New Testament, beginning with Jesus, fills it so full of pregnant possibilities that it, that it, you know, it should be the, the yearning of every person to be in heaven, as you were saying. You want to, we want to live in heaven forever yes, yes. with a God that's, that's uh, fulfilling you that way. Mm-hmm. 
And that begs the question, Lincoln, as we function as a God person, and that right off the bat, number one, that really should bring a lot of uh, joy to a lot of hearts listening right now, that your description as a child of God is not by birth, it's simply by how you how you internalize and how you externalize the God of your heart. If you are a person who wants to share God's love, you are a child of God. No matter what skin color you have, no matter what history you have, no matter what sins you have committed in the past, if you have a burning desire to be like God and to share God, you are a child of God. And that puts us in a huge problem. Because there are children of God who are all believing that way, Lincoln, who act very different from us, who think very different from us. It it, it takes me back to a a big convention, I think, that our church had a number of years ago where the, the theme was unity in Christ, unity in Christ. And I stood there looking at this huge banner up on the wall. It must have been 20 feet tall, each letter, unity in Christ. And knowing what I know and having discussions I've had on the radio with people like you, is that possible? Can we have unity? Or is God looking for something beyond unity in his children? It's not that we artificially uh, make that unity on a rallying cry. Well, you know, we're Christians. The Crusades did that. Yeah, because from uh, that point on, that whole convention was full of people arguing with each other, getting very right. upset with each other, dealing with each other in some very rough ways. And here's the big banner sitting up there, unity in Christ. Uh, absolutely. But the unity is to come as we are made or transformed into the type of thinking that characterizes God. And it's not just love. Well, it is just love in a certain sense, but love is is a sort of, you know, it's a hallmark sort of a a term for us nowadays. Yes, yes, it (laughs) is. You can go to the New Testament, and there's about 10 different words for love. Yes, yes. What I think we're called toward, and and, and love overarchingly might might cover it, Mm -hmm. but we are to have, as Jesus exemplified, and and then going to the Old Testament, I know someone like uh, Joseph showed, where there was an absolute abhorrence for any behavior or attribute that was other than God. Hmm. You know, it's often that comes under the term of holiness. What yes. is holiness? Yes. Set apart. Set apart because God is apart. As I said, he is the ultimate other. And where he's revealed the otherness to him, we are to move away from this world. It was to say the world, the flesh and the devil. Right, right, right. <laughs> Someone that has the mind of God to the degree that they truly have developed that mind, they will have an innate abhorrence to evil things, Mm. to uh, destructive things, to uh, things that have contention and so on. You know, because it says, you know, Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren, so we won't be an accuser. Going back to an example I gave in another program, because it's a rough example, but Phineas, that that one that that took the sword and speared someone through, an act that we would never do, because it's not appropriate now, and God's revealed more subtleties of his aim. But he was commended then because he had the mind of God. Mm. He was stirred through his being with the revulsion that that shakes God when he comes toward evil, because Mm. evil is the polar opposite of God, by definition.
This is Adra's world, a world where billions of our global neighbors lead lives of denied opportunities. Their reality is poverty, hunger, devastation, illiteracy, and sickness, much of which is preventable. It's overwhelming, but the Adventist Development and Relief Agency International, or ADRA, cannot hide from this reality. ADRA responds because God calls each of us to reach out to a world of hurt to alleviate the suffering of even the least of these sisters and brothers. It's the gospel of Christ in work boots. Would you like to help? Here's how. Pick up the phone and call this number, 1-800-424-ADRA. That's 1-800-424-2372. Or visit www.adra.org. ADRA. Changing the world one life at a time. We're talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. We're talking about God today, and that is a topic that we could do programs on until the Lord comes, I guess. But more specifically, we're talking about the true character of God. We're looking for it. We want to allow people to believe the way they want to believe, even if it's different from ours. How do we accept them? How should they accept us? If we have the true character of God, there is a way of doing that. You've mentioned that it's it's function, but it's also that abhorrence to evil. We need to have a shared abhorrence to evil. The unity we look for is not only a unity of love, but a unity of rejection of that which is evil. Am I on the right track here, Lincoln? Absolutely. We need to be holy. Yes. Uh, and and, and I took a chapel the other day here at the General Conference on, on this, this point. I said Adventists came out of what was called the holiness movement. That's right. That's right. Uh, and, and it meant what it said. These were people that were, through a knowledge of God, aiming to purify the earthly existence of worldly uh, habits and and uh, attractions and so on and become more drawn toward God and his holiness, his separatedness from, from the earthly things. Nowadays, you know, most people are content because it's the only way they've been presented God to sort of accept, only believe God did it all for you and, you know, praise God and you love him, you have an emotional response and then leave it at that. That's the beginning of it with God, not the end. Mm. The end of it is to turn someone into what he intended, someone that has an affinity with him, that his, is his creation, that he can uh, approach uh, certainly through his angel emissaries and, and Jesus, uh, who is now the personification of the Godhead, to approach and see them face to face. An evil person can't do that, no, nor would no, they want what to. They want to. Exactly, exactly. Nor would they want to. They, they have gone down a different tangent, down a different track. Uh, by the way, uh, it's a dangerous territory to get into, but uh, over the years I've read uh, a lot of different authors, including Dostoevsky, the, the famous uh, Russian author. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in his book, I've, well, the brothers Karamazov, the uh, character Ivan Karamazov, said something very interesting. He said, it is not God that I don't accept. Understand this. I do not accept the world that he created. Hmm. This world's God, and I cannot agree with it. (laughs) And I think that's where uh, a lot of people get tripped up, uh, because you hear it all the time. How A God that can do this, a God that could uh, cause war or could cause these children to die or this child die of illness. You know, how how could that be? I, I hate a God that would allow that. When that's very simplistic thinking, they haven't realized that that may not reflect 
the intent of the God, nor be even his act directly. It yes. might be the contrary. It might be the uh, uh, evidence of a contrary force that he's trying to overcome. That is so perfect because you'll realize that even in our discussion, the last program and on this discussion of this program, we haven't even talked about the devil. And the devil is the source of all pain and suffering, of all death and destruction. We have left him out of the conversation, and that is exactly what Christ felt and found. Good things that happened to you were blessings from God. Bad things that happened to you were curses from God. God was the good cop, the bad cop. No one talked about the devil unless someone was devil-possessed. So the right. devil, which is the cause of all this thing, was regulated to a secondary role, and it was all about God. We need to bring the devil right back into the conversation and call a spade a spade. That's my soapbox speech for today. Absolutely. And, and <laughs> so let me go back to the beginning and yes. tell you something in a way I don't think you often hear. What happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and listened to the devil and ate of the tree? And, and most people understand if they've read beyond the most simplistic level that the fruit had nothing inherent in right, it. Right. It was an act of loyalty or disloyalty, depending on how they followed through on it. But what happened? They were cast out of Eden, and God made a statement. He says, as he cast them out, he says, we need to cast him out, lest he put out his hand and eat the tree of life and live forever and perpetuate this evil. Later on, at the Tower of uh, Babel, God says, look, man has, has, uh, has done this big thing. You know, we need to, nothing will be withheld from him if we don't destroy the city. The flood is the same thing. The, the thoughts of man's hearts are evil continually. Continually, yes. There was a direct counter to God's will that God took seriously. It wasn't just rebellion. Mm -hmm. Because of Satan's instigation, Satan was actually aiming at the very threshold of heaven. Mm -hmm. And and again, I'll go to um, Dostoevsky. There's something that I've muddled over for years. One of his characters, a uh, character called Kirillov in a story called The Possessed, and he was possessed. He worried about how he could know God, or finally, in his disturbed state, he wanted to become God. Hmm. And he committed, finally, what he said was logical suicide. That in defying God, his act of final rebellion would be to, since God was the life giver, to kill himself, and in so doing, he would become God. <laughs> now, it's, it's, it's nihilistic, yes. but if you really think about it, it's not that different mm -hmm. than what Satan told Adam and Eve. You will not surely die. God said you will surely die, and he said you won't surely die. You'll become like, like God. God. Like exactly. By doing something that will bring you death, you will become like God. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the ultimate illusion, and, and yet it has man tilting at the stars yep. in, in futility, because we can't become like God in that regard. Only the way that God has promised. We can safely say that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, when they chose Satan, we can safely say metaphorically that they stepped off onto a different path. 
that the path that they were on, the path of life, was leading to eternal life. That's what God was talking about. Uh, that with God, with God's protective power, you live forever. When you disobey God, you're removing yourself from that path and under the path of death, say. And you now have death as a very real consequence of what's happening. Couldn't we say that God was trying to bridge that gap to help give us a way of moving from one path back to the other path? That was the transactional uh, reality of Jesus coming. Yes, yes. Uh, because God, by his very nature, cannot coexist with disobedience and evil. Right, exactly. You know, we forget that. It says in the Bible that he's a consuming fire to evil. Then or why can't e we say, Lincoln Steed, why can't we say as we are watching the Old Testament people walk along the path of death, when bad things happen to them, that they are reaping the consequences of not being with God, of God not being their protector, of God not leading the way. We are attributing to God what's going to happen when you're on that path. Not well, because God did it. You know, God, God executes, as it says, his strange act, but he doesn't, he is not initiating the process. Right, exactly. Disobedience initiates exactly. it. Exactly. You know? and, and we need to face the reality in a very complex world, sometimes, in fact, most times, <laughs> to some degree, bad things happen to uh, good people yes. or people that did not create the first cause. Because we're in a sinful world. It's just in automatic. In fact, as I say first cause, I'm thinking about uh, my, one of my favorite authors, John Milton. Uh -huh. In his prologue to uh, Paradise Lost, he says, you know, that first cause of our mm -hmm. parents brought us this sin and, mm -hmm. and destruction. Mm -hmm. And also, I, I should throw this in because I love it. John Milton, at the beginning of this monumental work that outlined how man fell, and then he followed it with the second part called Paradise Regained, where he showed how Christ regained it for man. But at the beginning, he said his purpose was to justify the ways of God to man. Hmm. Uh, there's no question they need justifying, because as, as we've seen with this in the other program that we previously did, it's a difficult thing, and it's easy to sort of put God in as the heavy rather yes, than yes, the benefactor. Yes, yes. Well, this discussion uh, is, I think, vital, because at the very core of allowing other people the freedom to believe that they, the way they want to believe, to worship the other way they want to believe and worship, at the very core of that is to be Christ-like. And if we are children of God, we have to have the sensitivity that God had for us. And he allowed us the freedom of disobeying him. He allowed us the freedom of disagreeing with him. He allowed us the freedom of murdering him. We have to allow that kind of freedom in the people around us who don't believe the way we believe. And that's a powerful message. Absolutely. We have a little bit more time, don't we? Yes, we do. We have about five or six minutes left. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I want to revisit the story of, of Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. He was, he was there on a hot day yes, in, yes. in Washington at the moment. We've got plenty of hot days, and I think of that sort of <laughs> Middle East situation where, but for the shelter of the sun, you'd, you'd fry. Yes. And Abraham is sitting there, and he sees in the shadow of the, the hot day three figures coming. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't explain, but somehow he knew that these were heavenly messengers. Mm -hmm. And one of them clearly was the angel of the covenant, uh, anthropomorphized in, in, in a way that, that they were like, he was like a man and that, that Abraham could speak to him. And he welcomed them, Eastern, Middle Eastern hospitality, yes. killed a, a, a goat, I think it was, or a calf. Uh, then they sat down and they started talking. Curious exchange because the Lord, it says, said that he was going to have children. Mm -hmm. And uh, Abraham didn't quite believe it. And off to the side, Sarah laughs. Mm -hmm. 
And God says, uh, why are you laughing? And she says, I didn't laugh. And he says, oh, yes, you lied. You did laugh. <laughs> I mean, there's God on a lower level, yeah. like a parent can sort of verbally slap them on the wrist. Yeah, well, you're not being truthful with me. You did laugh. And he made the promise again. And then Abraham enters into this this dickering with God over whether or not he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. There was an indication they were they were off to deal with those cities, and Lot, his his nephew, was there, and and Moses brought him down from what was it a hundred yes. down down to five. five. God, God would not <laughs> deal with it if they're five. I don't think the numbers are important because God knew that they were unsavable. Yes. But he he uh, allowed the dialogue with with Abraham. I think out of respect for someone that honoured him. Mm. That's really what was going on. I, like I, I don't for a second think that God was was persuadable. Yes. <laughs> His purposes are sure. The Bible says that. Well, now, but, now, but, wait a minute. Before we go any further, we got to look at Jonah going to Nineveh. God was persuaded not to destroy Nineveh because they turned back toward God. He must be. Well, persuaded. he wasn't persuaded. That was his whole thing. Yet forty days, he was to give that message. That was a call for repentance. Uh-huh. Okay. It was it was Jonah that had the problem. God said to him, you know, why shouldn't I show them mercy? These, what was it, 100,000 people? that's true, that's true. He says, you don't have any respect for them, but I'm going to show them mercy because Mm -hmm. they changed. No, I'm not saying that God doesn't uh, deal with humans in a dynamic that if they choose one way, something happens, or if another, something else. But I don't believe as as superficially you could get from the Bible that that he changes his mind. Mm -hmm. It says, as God, a human, he should change his mind. But he lays out a choice, and the human on, on one end will think, well, God's done this differently because of what I did. And uh, we know that with Abraham again, with sacrificing his son, he, he led him down a, mm-hmm. an interesting path to prove the loyalty. It was actually a contradictory path to God's normal way of yes, doing things. Yes. And, and that is one of the more uh, difficult to explain, because why would God ask something of his of his follower that, that he normally would be duty-bound not to, but it was an extreme test of loyalty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, And even God uh, playing, I think, with, with uh, Moses there when, when he says, you know, out of the way. He says, I want to destroy all of these people. Yes, and, and, yes. and Moses says, no, destroy, destroy me. Destroy me, know. yeah. Uh, God didn't intend at that point to destroy any. I mean, well, he intended to punish some people, but he wasn't going to wipe Israel off. They had not yet uh, come to the end of the story. But he wanted to bring from Moses clearly uh, the, the statement of self-sacrifice, that Moses would have done it himself if, if it was possible. Well, it's very obvious that this discussion can go on and on. And listener, that's what I want to happen in your heart. I want you to start thinking about this and your relationship with God and God's relationship with us. Because in that relationship is where we find the true freedom that allows us to be loving to other people, to accept other people, even to have the faith that we need in God in that relationship. It's all about relationship. Lincoln, you have opened our eyes to wonderful truths today. Thank you very much for what you've said to us today. It's been a pleasure. And listener, I want to invite you, as always, to the website, www.libertymagazine.org. There are resources there. You can listen to these programs again. You can download them as podcasts and play them to your uh, Sunday school or Sabbath school groups. 
to your Bible study groups and have some discussion starters. This is important stuff. We will be talking about God and God's character until we see God coming in the clouds. I can guarantee you that. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in that freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.LibertyMagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.